Last night, I had the privilege of sleeping on the ground in my son's room because he is, yeah, he's two and a half, and about one o'clock in the morning, he is screaming bloody murder, and so I go in there, and I'm like, what's up, buddy? What's going on? And, and uh, he's just like, he's not happy. I said, did you have a scary dream? And he said, yeah, I had a scary dream. And I said, okay, buddy. And so I gave him a hug, and I was like, all right, now man up and go back to sleep. And so I was getting ready to go to bed, and, and uh, clearly he was really shaken up by whatever his dream was. And so um, the only way for him to go back to sleep was if I slept on the ground right next to his crib. And so I slept there on the ground, and I'm laying there, and, and uh, he thinks this is the funnest thing ever because daddy's here in my room, and I can touch his face from my crib. And so he's touching, you know, he's after my face and whatever, and, and finally both of us fall asleep. But uh, what's funny is fear is something that doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter how strong or it doesn't matter how secure you are. Um, fear is something that all of us struggle with. So fear is something that my two-year-old struggles with and fear is something that you struggle with. And, and a few years back, I realized that um, some of us have some pretty, uh, pretty irrational fears and some of us may have some more justified fears. One of the times that I saw uh, young adults the most afraid was when we went to Guatemala and we, uh, if you don't know, we take a trip to Guatemala uh, every year. We didn't get to do it this last year, but hopefully we'll get to do it this coming year. And, and uh, one, of the, uh, one of the great things that we did on our trip to Guatemala was we got to go out to the rainforest, literally in the middle of nowhere. It's incredible. We're at this like river. We're going swimming. We're cooking stuff. And we're having just one of the best times. It's a beautiful, beautiful, uh, beautiful place. And they have kind of this real like rickety looking cabin that we uh, slept in, and it's a cabin, and I put that in scare quotes because it doesn't have walls that go all the way up to the top. They're kind of open, and it's airy and whatever, and they have bunk beds in there, and, and so you have a sleeping bag, and, and all of us go to bed. There's about 50 or 60 of us in this cabin. The girls are on one side, guys on the other, and I hear from, there's just plywood separating the different rooms, and I hear from the room right next to mine, um, Ismail, and if you don't know who Ismail is, uh, he's a wannabe bodybuilder. He's around here sometimes, and uh, yeah, you'll look for him. Uh, and all I hear from him is, there's a scorpion under my bed. And I'm like, bro, relax, dude. Like, it's not a big deal, I thought, until I went over into his room and we look at it. And I kid you not, this thing is massive. Okay, this thing is huge. And we have pictures to prove it. And so we're just losing it going, what the frick, dude? I didn't know that there was scorpions out here. And so we're all riled up and we're all scared and everything. And, and we eventually go back to bed and I'm laying there. Of course, I'm not going to sleep. And all I hear next is the scorpions going through the wall, which I thought magical scorpion. That's new. <laughs> but I guess it found like a, a crevice to go through. And literally this thing was coming to the other side. And so um, literally everyone starts losing it because the girls can hear what's happening, right? And then the guys are losing their mind. And so everybody is awake and we're going, there's scorpions in here. And so we go into the girls' room, which is just this big room where all the girls are sleeping on different bunks. And we're telling them, there's scorpions, which they reacted totally calm. They were totally fine. They weren't overreacting at all. Oh yeah, everyone lost their minds. And so we start getting the flashlights out looking for scorpions, Scorpions was not the only thing that were in the cabin, apparently, because we look, look up into the rafters like this, and the rafters are definitely not anywhere near as high as this, and they're probably about, I don't know, 12 or so feet, and we look up, and at first, I'm thinking, and I spot it. I was the first one to spot it, and I go, is that a cat up there? 
what is that? And I realized that's not a cat, that's a spider. That's the size of a cat. This thing is freaking huge. And so we are losing it. I get the flashlight on, everybody is, I, I can't find, I have a video of this somewhere. Everyone is screaming their heads off at this point. And we can see it it's sitting on top of this big beam. And then I don't know what it was thinking, but it goes and it puts its legs over like this over the side to kind of reveal itself to us. And I'm not kidding, this was bigger than my face. I'm not exaggerating, ask anyone on this trip. The thing was bigger than my face. And so it is putting its giant legs across this big beam. And so another guy on the trip, uh, Mitch, he grabs a shoe and he goes, whack, and he just goes, boom, and it falls down on the ground, which of course we're going, And then he runs over and like freaking stabs this thing and then like squishes it and its guts go everywhere. And we're like, yeah! (laughs) Uh, Oh my gosh, we felt like we are, yeah, we're savages. And and so of course, no one is sleeping after that. Nobody is going to bed. No, we are wide awake until the sun comes up because we are losing our minds. And I just have to say, he's not here tonight to defend himself, but my brother-in-law was on that trip and he was so afraid that he literally did not get out of his sleeping bag because he was so terrified. He put it over his face and was just like, this is not happening. This is not happening. This is not, you know, he just like, he is losing it. Turns out he's afraid of spiders, especially ones the size of cats. So yeah. And so look, all of us have some type of fear in our life. It can be a fear of spiders. It can be a fear of the unknown. Um, I, I will not go in the ocean any longer around here because there are, yeah, I don't care. There are sharks. That is, that's crazy. There are great white sharks. I want nothing to do with that. And so there, we all have a, a ton of different uh, fears. And, um, and Jesus addresses fears in this passage that we're going to go over today. And let me just give you a note right up front is I realize I grew up as a Christian. I grew up as a pastor's kid. I know a ton of the different Bible stories, but this last uh, little over a year, I've been preaching from uh, Matthew and we're in Matthew 10 and I've been preaching through Matthew. And I got to be honest, um, Jesus is so intense like oftentimes preachers, we'll, we'll go ahead and we'll take like one passage and we'll be like, okay, cool. And then we'll finesse it and we'll kind of say, here's what's going on. And we'll only pick like the passages that are really going to be ones that we like. Okay. I'm just telling you that up front. It's the ones that we like. And so we'll teach you these ones. But when you go like through the whole book, it makes you address the ones that you would never pick and that you would never teach. This is one of those. And so in Matthew 10, what's been happening, if you haven't been here, is the disciples up until this point have been hanging out with Jesus. They've been following him around, and he's kind of a rock star because he heals people. He does these teachings called parables that people don't understand, but they think they're deep, and so they like them. And so he's teaching all these people, and the disciples who are following him, they're rock stars. They are part of his entourage, and so people want to be around them. They want to know him and know the disciples. And up until this point, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a little confusing, but they've been able to see a lot of cool stuff. And then Jesus kind of switches on him, and he says, hey, You've been following me around. You've been my disciples. You've been witnessing what I'm up to, and you kind of know who I am. And I'm going to now send you out into mission. I'm going to send you out, and you're going to go and proclaim this gospel message to the rest of the world. And that's going to be your life's purpose. And everyone who follows me, who calls themselves a Jesus follower, a Christian, that's going to be their purpose of their life too, is to follow me and then to bring other people into a relationship with me. And he says, when you go out there, it's going to get really ugly. He says, you're going to face 
persecution. People are going to put you on trial. They're going to beat you. They're going to torture you. Eventually, most of you will probably die a horrendous death. And they're going, wait, uh, no, okay, <laughs> Jesus, let's go back to the stories, man. Remember the parables? Let's go back to those. And he says, no, 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 no. I have to prepare you because I'm going to send you out into the world. And here's the image that he gives us. You are going to be like sheep among wolves. Not a great image when you are the sheep. And so he sends them out and he's trying to tell them, here's what you're going to face. And what's interesting about this is, if we look at history, they did face incredible persecution. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But it's not just something that happened back then, where people were dying for their faith and they were being persecuted because they believed in Jesus. In fact, if you look at the statistics now, we see modern persecution of Christians, it's more widespread than it has been in a very long time. The statistics show that in 2015, which was uh, probably the worst year to be a Christian around the world in modern history, 105,000 Christians died because of their faith. Last year, 90,000 Christians were killed for their faith. Wide persecuted, and this doesn't include all the people who were beaten and tortured and raped and imprisoned. This is just the people who actually died because they believe in Jesus. Now, the that doesn't mean that we don't face persecution, but we face a different type of persecution. And so we may not be facing death, we might not be being beaten physically or abused because of our faith, but here's the reality, is we as Christians in the West and in America, we will face persecution. And we see this. If you ever watch popular culture, you ever watch the news, you're seeing any kind of, uh, if you watch any movies, anything like that, you will see that Christians are demonized in these different movies because of their beliefs. Because they believe certain things about humanity, about sexuality, about gender, about uh, when, uh, human or when a personhood begins at conception. You will see all of the beliefs that Christians held, and they are mocked and oftentimes demonized. And so persecution for us, is, it's not that like it doesn't exist, it just exists in a much different form. Instead of us being persecuted physically, they persecute our character, which can be detrimental to us just like uh, physical persecution. And eventually we may get to a place, and we've talked about this, in which we lose friendships, we lose relationships with the ones that we love because there is this divide in our worldview between what we believe and what they believe. And although we may want to continue to stay friends with them or continue to be in a relationship with them, um, they don't want anything to do with us because they see us as either ignorant or naive or even plain evil. And so last week, we learned about some of the different things that we're going to have to potentially sacrifice in our life. And besides opportunities and relationships, we talked about money. And that's a very popular topic to talk about. You guys were silent. Um, but we talked about money because... As Christians, we are called to live sacrificially, and that includes our finances. And so we oftentimes have to sacrifice our lifestyle because we are being generous givers. And that's just another one of the ways in which um, it, it, being a Christian is going to cost us something. And it, so here's a truth that I just want, if you're not a Christian or you're uh, trying to figure out Christianity or maybe you, you recently followed Jesus, I feel like we don't tell you this up front, so I'm going to tell you this right away, is if you were a Christian... Salvation is free, and that's what Michael was just talking about. Is Christ died on the cross for you? That's grace. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You just receive the gift of salvation. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. That's free. However, following Jesus will cost you something. 
Salvation is free. Following Jesus will cost you something. You can't earn salvation, but when you follow Jesus, it's probably going to cost you something. And I don't think this should be a surprise for us because all the things that we care about that bring meaning and purpose into our life, those things are costly. When uh, There's a famous saying, and you've heard of it before, it's uh, the best things in life are free. I think that's BS, okay? Here's why. Um, because if you have ever been married or have kids, you realize very quickly neither of those are free. They are extremely expensive. Kids are expensive. Your spouse is expensive. The best things in life are not free. I get the sentiment. I understand. You're talking about love, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but really, the best things in life are extremely costly because they're going to cost you not just money, but they're going to cost you time and energy and focus, and it's going to cost your schedule. All these things cost, are, are costly. Because the most important things in life are going to cost you something. And so when we look at our faith, we shouldn't be surprised that it is one of the most costly things in our life. If marriage is costly, if raising kids who love the Lord and aren't total screw-ups, if that's cost, that's going to be costly. Our careers, that's going to cost us something. But here's the deal. It's at the end of the day, the things that are most meaningful and give us the most purpose in life, although they are costly, they are definitely worth it. And so being a Christian, I think we've got to know right off the bat is it's not easy, because life isn't easy, but it's totally worth it. And so that's kind of my setup for when he gets into this. Okay, here we go. Matthew 10, 26, let's jump into this together. He says this right off the bat. He says, do not be afraid. This is Jesus. Do not be afraid. And this is one of the, the, the favorite sayings of Jesus. He says, do not be afraid all the time. But it's kind of hard not to be afraid because if you think about it, fear is probably the, either the first emotion or the primary emotion that we feel when we enter into the world and we come out of our mother's womb, right? Think about it. I've seen two children being born. It'll change you, okay? <laughs> You've seen the video in junior high. You know what's up. And so, oh, that, did I bring that image to your mind? Sorry about it. Uh, but here's what's funny, is I don't think there's ever been a baby that was born and came out and it felt like its first emotion was like jealousy, you know, or greed, or envy. The first emotion is fear, like what the frick is happening right now? I was warm, I was cozy, everything was good, and then here I am, it's bright, people are like hitting me, what's going on here? Right, The first emotion that we feel when we uh, enter into the external world is fear. But fear is not really the issue because I think um, there's a, we have to get a little bit nuanced with this. Because I think there's such thing as healthy fear and then there's unhealthy fear. Because not all fear is going to be uh, a bad thing. In, in fact, I think it can be a pretty much a, a good thing because let's say that I am uh, strolling around in the uh, Sahara, uh, Sahara Desert. I don't know, I'm just hanging out there. And I see a lion, and the lion's like, mmm, you look tasty, and I go, mmm, no. And so I, because of my fear, it, it spurs me to action, and I run away, or I hide, or I cry, or whatever I do, okay? There is a, there is a healthy fear that I have there. My kids have a healthy fear. They know that when the fireplace is on, it's really hot, and so they should not put their hand in there. Why? They're afraid, and that's a really good fear. Fear can spur us to action or, uh, or stop us from doing really stupid things. However, there's also a really unhealthy fear. 
So one of the probably the most unhealthy fears that I have in my life is anytime me or my family has any kind of illness, like it could even be a cough, I'm like, oh, there's cancer. You know, I just, and I'll be on WebMD for hours, just like, did you know the, oh gosh, you know, and I'm like, we're all dying, you know, it's just, a, it's a, that is a really unhealthy fear that I have, is that um, I somehow believe that because they have a cough, they're going to get cancer. And so here's the difference between the two types of fears. Healthy fear is specific and constructive. So I'm afraid of a lion that is charging at me. That's specific, which causes me to run. That's constructive. That's a healthy fear. However, unhealthy fear is not specific, but it's more generalized and it's undefined. So I'm not really sure even what I'm afraid of. I know it's a cough, but I don't actually know what I'm afraid of. And I don't know, uh, and there's nothing that I can do to, to help the situation. So instead of it helping me act and resolve the problem, it either paralyzes me or just brings on fear and anxiety. So fear, and anxi- or fear is actually what produces our anxiety and our worry. And if we, we think about where this came from, we can actually trace it all the way back to Adam and Eve. Because fear and anxiety, this unhealthy fear, is actually a consequence of sin, When we rebelled against God and we decided we want to do our own thing, we actually lost what's called shalom. Shalom is kind of this peace. There's a a peace between us and God and each other and the rest of of nature, and everything is good in that moment. But when we decided to rebel against God, the the consequence of that was fear entering into the world. In fact, it's kind of crazy. Listen to this. In Genesis 3, it says this. Then the man and his wife, so this is after Adam and Eve sinned, ate the apple. Uh, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered. No, this is important. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. See, the consequence of rebelling against God is fear. And I think it actually makes sense because think about it. We went from a place in which um, we were in perfect harmony with our creator and with everything around us. And then when we rebelled, we became cosmic orphans who are on this little blue planet in this vast universe and we have no control over anything. That would produce probably some, some fear, and rightly so. And so when sin entered into the world and then fear entered into our life, we feel like we are totally um, out of control, that the world is spinning out of control, which it is. And so I realize this about myself, and maybe this is true of you, is one of the ways in which I try to grasp control of, of the world and when it's out of control is I think somehow fear is going to make things better. Like if I worry enough about it, it's probably going to help. Like, if my kids and my wife, they're driving home and I'm not with them, I will worry them home. I will have a hedge of protection over them because I'm worrying over them, right? Like, okay, call me when you leave. Call me when you get there. I'll worry in between, you know, because I'm going to make sure you're okay. I'm going to worry your safety. It doesn't make any sense, but somehow in my heart, because I'm not in control at all, I think that fear, worry, and anxiety is somehow going to give me control. And I, I can tell you that it's irrational and it doesn't make any sense, but it's the same reason why you worry and you have anxiety. Not because it's going to actually fix things, but it just gives you something to do. It gives you the control that you're trying to grasp for. Now, what's funny about our culture is we have this pretend or this illusion that we are fearless. So I don't know if you knew uh, this brand growing up, but this was popular when I was young, was uh, No Fear. Do you remember this brand? 
Is this still around? Is that still like a thing? It's still, no? Some of you guys like have no idea what I'm talking about? Look it up. eBay it. Should get a deal. How dare you? Um, there's this brand, No Fear. It was really popular growing up, and then it became popular uh, dirt bike community for a while there. And I, you know, I don't really care about the brand, but I do find that the brand name is really interesting. Because the reason why it's popular, one, because it's stylish, but it also reflects something, some belief that people have about themselves or who they actually want to be or portray that they are to other people. And if you look into some of the, um, some of the virtues within our culture, being fearless is one of those. My favorite movie, Home Alone. Kevin goes down into the basement, and this furnace in the basement keeps scaring him, and eventually he says, I'm not afraid anymore, Right? And then he does that, like he runs outside. He's like, I'm not afraid anymore. And he becomes like the man of the house. And he takes charge and we're going to get them, right? Great part. Okay, great movie. For some reason, the turning point for him was he realizes I'm the man of the house. And being the man of the house, being a man means that I am fearless. Now, that's not just true of men. It's actually true of women as well. Because as Taylor Swift will tell you, you put on your dress you go out there and be fearless, right? You seen this song? Am I the only one who knows this song? Okay. And you can name a thousand other songs, and every stinking movie is about some hero and how fearless and how they stand up, and they're courageous, and they can just go out there and, and they can face down their enemies. What is it about our culture that believes that we are conquerors. See, politicians and celebrities and all these movies and, and all the music, they're telling you, you can conquer, you step up, you don't be fearless, you can go out there and you can dominate whatever it is. And they like pump us up with these, these beliefs that we are conquerors and that somehow if we step out and we're fearless, then things are going to work out okay in the end. Now here's my question. Why in the world would you believe that? Like, think just deeply for a moment here, because we're so sold on this idea that everything's going to work out in the end, and we're conquerors, and we're going to be fearless, and we're going to take this, woo! But think about it for a moment. Why in the world should we believe that's going to happen? Why should we believe that things are going to work out for us in the end? What justifies that belief? See, because if I look at human history and I look at the world around me, it doesn't work out like that for the majority of humanity. The majority of humanity, um, they live in fear because they are probably going to end in death, either because of health or because of violence. And we see this over and over and over again. These people are not conquerors. These people are going to be victims, and they will never see any justice, and things will not be okay in the end. So what makes us think that somehow we, in this room, are special where things are going to work out for us? I always want to ask these celebrities. Yeah, it's easy for you to say as you sit in your mansions and you've made it, but what about the rest of us? Why should we believe that things are going to be okay? See, fundamentally, there is an issue here. There's a disconnect because unless you have a worldview that justifies your belief in things working out well in the end for you, you are buying a load of crap. You're buying a bunch of slogans. You're buying something that they're selling to you. You have no reason to think that your life's going to be okay in the end unless, unless you have two things. One, 
A belief in a God who has control over everything, who is sovereign, who controls your life and the rest of the world. And so he can guarantee how things are going to turn out. And the other is, if you have a relationship with that God, that he made you some kind of promise that things are going to work out for you in the end. And this is what I love about Christianity because it's a a coherent worldview that is consistent because I have the belief that things are going to work out well for me in the end, either in this life or the next. And the reason why is because I'm a Christian. If I were not a Christian, I would say, who knows what's going to happen? It's probably going to end pretty badly. I know that's kind of depressing, but like, let's, let's tell it like it is. I think most of us, or at least in our society, we blindly believe things are going to work out, and yet we have no reason unless Jesus actually is who he says he is. Verse 26, he says, so do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. So Jesus is going to say, do not be afraid, three times in this, uh, this next section. And he's going to each time give us a reason why we shouldn't be afraid. So the first one is, there's nothing concealed that's hidden that will not be disclosed or will be made known. So here's what he's saying. He's saying that there are things, let me give you an example. I like, I like ruffling feathers. Let me give you an example. Um, Cultural debates. There are these cultural debates in which I think we can get good insight into the uh, conflicting worldviews that are happening. And so one of the conflicting worldviews, or one of the issues, is between um, those who believe in biblical marriage and those who um, want to make up whatever marriage. So the same-sex marriage is kind of what the hot topic has been. Here's what's interesting about this, because I like hearing the dialogue, I like hearing the debate. And by the way, um, when I mention these things, because I'll mention hot topics all the time, um, so this one in particular... We have lots of people who uh, struggle with same-sex attraction, and if that's you, you are so welcome here. We love you. In fact, we don't see this as, as the, like, the defining issue. We put this in the same category as people having premarital sex, people looking at pornography, people lying about their taxes. We think everybody's broken, everybody's got issues. Let's talk about them. Let's get them out in the open. There's nothing that should be like, oh, that's like the, oh, we can't talk about that. That's horrible. No, 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 no. Screw that. We'll talk about everything here. And so... Uh, and so here's, here's the issue that, that is happening here, is um, there's a popular slogan that's going around that says, if you do not affirm same-sex marriage, then you are standing on the wrong side of history. So somehow history is going to look back and they're going to look at you just like we look at slave owners, is you had a very messed up view of humanity, of marriage. And so when history looks back at you and your stance with uh, marriage, you're going to be just like slave owners. And so you need to get on the right side of history because history is going to judge you. And right now it's not going to judge you very well. Now here's the, here's the corresponding or the, uh, the, the other side of it is those of us who call ourselves Christians who believe in biblical marriage It's not because we hate people. It's not because, no, 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 no. It's because we are afraid not of what man thinks of us, but what God thinks of us. See, I don't want to stand on the wrong side of God's history. And so one day I'm going to have to stand in front of God and you know who's not going to be there? My friends, my family, you. It's going to be me and God. He's going to go, what did you do with my truth? Did you stand for it or did you just go with the tide of culture? What did you do with it? See, human history will be irrelevant at that point in which side I stood on it. Really what matters is, did you stand with me or did you stand against me? And that's what I want to live for. I don't want to live for which side of human history I'm on. That, that goes with the tide. That comes and that goes and that doesn't... No, no, no. I want to one day be able to stand firm 
and say, I stood with your truth. Because here's what Jesus is promising. This is harsh, this is, but this is legit. Jesus is saying, there will be a day when everyone's hearts, when their beliefs, when their stances will be laid bare in front of everyone else. And so the, the, the side of history that you're standing on is irrelevant. It's going to be which side were you on my side or were you against me? And so we're supposed to somehow, and I think this makes sense, is we're supposed to take comfort in knowing that even as they persecute us and our beliefs and the stances that we have, we go at one point, at some day, someday in, in our lives, the truth will be made known. The truth will be made known whose side we're standing on. Then he goes to verse 27, he says, What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. And so he, he tells us a couple of things. One, he tells us that um, he's going to tell us something in the dark. He's going to whisper it in our ears. And so what this is saying is he's assuming that you and I, as believers, are going away and we're hiding away and we're spending some time in a secluded place in which we are speaking to God. And then in return, he is speaking back to us. That's what the whisper in the ear is about, is he is telling us things. He is giving us life. He is giving us energy. He's giving us peace. And so it's in these secluded places where we're spending time with God that we are getting filled up with his spirit. We're getting re-energized. We're getting spiritually motivated. This is supposed to be the fuel for our life. And then once we're, we're filled up because we've been hearing God's voice and he's been speaking to us, then we go out and we proclaim that message to other people. We say, look, here's what God is doing in my life. Here's how you can know this God because we're so overflowing with the spirit because of these times in which he's filling us up that we're just overflowing to the rest of the world. That's what it means when we say that we speak in the daylight, we proclaim from the roofs. See, the, uh, the image that comes to mind is is someone who's in love, and not just someone who's in love, but Will Ferrell in Elf. Right? We've all seen this movie before. There's this scene where uh, he has gone out with, uh, what is it, Zoe Deschanel, and um, he, he falls in love, and he's just like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And then there, the scene is just great, because I feel like this should be representative of how we feel about God, is he just starts shouting, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows about it right? And he's just, he's just so excited because he is in love with this woman. And that's what the scripture is talking about is we are so in love. We are so filled up with God's spirit that we just have to tell other people about it. Here's what was challenging for me as I was studying this, this passage is I asked myself this question, why, why do I not feel like that? Like, why do I not feel the urge to go out and to share this gospel message with people? And I came up with two answers. Either one, because I haven't been spending time with God, and that makes sense. I'm spiritually dry. I haven't been filled up with this, the Holy Spirit and, and, and excited about my faith. And here's the scarier part. Or it's because I don't actually believe this. I don't actually think this is true. I just come here and I speak and I do the Bible thing because maybe it makes me feel good or something like that, but maybe it's because I don't actually love Jesus, so I don't really care if other people know about him or not. And he continues on in verse 28, he says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. See, you guys think I'm harsh sometimes. Have you read the Bible? This is 
intense, man. This is crazy. So he gives us the second do not be afraid. And he's telling us this. He's saying, look, on one hand, and this is, uh, and we'll get into the second part, he's saying life is temporary. Is It doesn't matter how much you are persecuted. It doesn't matter what you experience in this life. It doesn't matter what kind of trials you go through. This life is temporary. In fact, uh, the scripture says it's just a, a mist in eternity. That's what our life is, is a mist in eternity. And so we're supposed to look at this life not as the end all be all, but just as the very beginning, the entrance into eternity. And this, in fact, is what's kept Christians throughout the ages uh, to stand firm in their faith while they're being persecuted, while they're being told, deny your faith and you can live, or if you continue to proclaim it, you are going to die. And they continue to stand firm. Why? Because they had this belief that this life is just this short snapshot of what eternity is going to be. And so this was just the entrance. This was just the gate in which they can enter into eternity with God. Now here's the great irony of our age. It's clear that our society is full of fear. In fact, they have um, billion dollar industries that are fueled by fear. It's called the news. And see, the news is all about feeding you fear. Make you afraid of whatever political situation is going on, to ISIS is going to be at your back door, and you're never going to find a job, and you're always going to live in your parents' house. That may be true, but, uh, you know, all these different fears, right? I'm just kidding. You'll move out one day. Um, it gives us all these different fears. But you know what they're, by and large, almost everyone that I know or that I encounter, you know what they're not afraid of? God. Somehow we are afraid of everything in the world except for the one who can actually do something to us. I mean, how many people do you know, and this is true, that when you ask them, hey, what do you think about God? They go, God is love. I'm like, what else? No, that's it, man. God is love. You're like, what the frick, dude? That's crazy to me. Because we are so focused on temporal things and what is going to happen in our day-to-day -day and in our life and what happens in the coming years that we become so uh, fear-ridden and, 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 and afraid of what can come that we forget that God, who is eternal, who determines um, our destination of heaven and hell, we totally forget about him. And Jesus is saying, don't be afraid of whatever's going on in your life. You need to be focused on the bigger picture. You need to be focused on what happens after this because that's the stuff that really matters. And so the application for us is we need to stop worrying. And I know this is easier said than done, but we got to stop worrying about what our friends think of us, what opinion people have about us, even about our jobs and our careers and all what's going to happen. We need to start worrying about not what people think of us, but does, what does God think of us? Am I living a life that is honoring to God? Am I going to stand in front of him and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, or... Is he going to say, why did you spend your whole life trying to impress people? You missed it. I gave you one life. I gave you a purpose. You had so many things that you could have accomplished, but you were so insecure and afraid of what people thought about you that you missed it. That's my fear. I pray every single day, I say, and this came from, if you heard him, Nabil. He said, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. What he's saying is God has something specific for you to do, and I pray every day, God, don't let me miss it. I don't want to miss it because of my own insecurities, because of my own fear, because of worry, anxiety, ignorance, whatever it is, don't let me miss it because I know that this is what's going to make my life matter. Not what everybody else says, but what you say. He says this, 
29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So he gives us our third reason not to fear. And it is because you and I are incredibly valuable. If you look at the creation narrative in Genesis, it goes from lesser things to greater things in the creation. It's this progressive kind of creation from um, things that are less valuable and it gets increasingly more valuable until it finally gets to us. We, the pinnacle of God's creation, because we are made in God's image, which kind of explains why we have this intuition that, and we understand that um, the reason why, you know, a, a gorilla is more valuable than a piece of lettuce or a child is more important than a gorilla. Rest in peace. Hey, Harambe. Sorry about it. Ah, you didn't even see that coming, did you? Sorry. Okay. <clears throat> Some of you guys, it's a news. You can Google it later. Um, I was having a discussion this week with my rooted group, and um, one of the guys asked me, he said, what, in the Bible it says that we are made in God's image. What exactly does that mean? And he was coming, he's not, he's just new to the faith, and he's coming from this perspective of like, does that mean we look like him? Like, what exactly does that mean? And I said, well, what, what makes us unique is not our, our physical bodies. Because if you think about it, in the animal kingdom, we are nowhere near the top physically, okay? Some of us closer than others, but uh, we're nowhere near, the, just kidding, uh, what makes us unique, what makes us special is this ability to be able to um, use our minds, to be able to love and to be able to create and to be able to be in relationship with one another in a unique way, to be able to discover God's creation. And the most important thing is that we're able to be in a relationship with our creator. And so when it says that God cares about us, and he cares about us so much that he made us in his image. We are the, the, the pinnacle of creation. And he knows us so well that he knows the number of hairs on our head, which is kind of, a, it's kind of strange at first. Okay, I was thinking about this all week. I'm like, that's weird. He knows the number of hairs on our head. So I thought, what do you do when you really love somebody? You count the hairs on their head, right? Is that what you guys do? No? That'd be weird though, wouldn't it? I was thinking about that, like if Amy woke up tonight and I'm like, one, two, three, and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, babe, I love you so much, I just want to know. I got to know. I got to know how many hairs there are. <laughs> Nobody, <laughs> nope, not going to do that. She's like, and you're sleeping on the couch tonight, so. No, 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 when, think about this, marriage. Marriage is the closest relationship that we have here on earth. And what marriage is, is, is a commitment to say, I'm going to spend the rest of my life getting to know you intimately, physically, emotionally, spiritually. We are going to connect deeper than anyone else on this earth. I'm going to spend the rest of my life just trying to get to know you. But here's the funny thing, is it doesn't matter how great of a marriage you may have and how long you're married for, I can guarantee that you will never care about how many hairs there are on their head. You just don't want to know them that well, right? There's eventually a stopping point, and when you get to know, I know you enough, okay? Like, yes, we've been together a long time. We're old, we're wrinkly. I don't care about that, though. But what this is saying is God wants to know us and cares about us so much that he wants to know everything about us. In fact, he does know everything about us. 
He knows us so intimately that he knows just the, the silliest little details, like how many hairs we have on our head. And so here's the good news, is that Jesus, when he gives the disciples this lesson, do not be afraid, they are or were as bad at this as we are, because I am afraid all the time. I have a lot of fear and anxiety in my life. It's getting better, but it's still, man, I, I could hardly take a nap this afternoon because I, I had so much fear and anxiety, which is a big deal for me because I love naps. Um, but here's what happens. Thank you. Pray for me. Um, <laughs> after Jesus gives this talk of do not be afraid and he gives them all these reasons, you know what happens after this? Is they go out and they're persecuted and eventually Jesus is arrested and then he's tortured and he's put on a cross. And you know what happens to the disciples? They're terrified. In fact, one of them, one of the leaders of, this, uh, of the disciples, he denies Jesus and says, oh no, I don't even know him. I don't even, no, 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 I'm not with him. I don't know him. That's how afraid they were. And so it wasn't another miracle. It wasn't another teaching, but something changed in their mind because these people who were extremely afraid, even after Jesus showed them all this, everything about him, you know what the thing that changed their mind to where they were denying Jesus and then just very shortly after were proclaiming the message of Christ in the very place in which he was crucified. The thing that changed their minds where they went from afraid little schoolgirls to heroes of the faith was the resurrection. They said once they saw Jesus resurrect, it took all their fears away. Because here's the truth, is if we follow a God that has conquered sin and death, then there is nothing that can scare us. There's a, there's a philosopher, um, Ravi Zacharias, and he has this great illustration and he says, you know, Lazarus, who died and Jesus brought him back from the dead, can you imagine trying to scare him? Can you, can you, what would you do to threaten him? I'm going to kill you. And he's like, okay, <laughs> that's a Tuesday. You know, like, fine, let's go, bring it on. And see, Christians internalize this, and they said, since we follow a resurrected Savior, then there is nothing that can scare us any longer. We are fearless in the truest of sense, not because some stupid celebrity told us to, or not because we have something within us that is so great in which we can stand and we can face death. No, no, the thing that brought these people literally to a place in which they were not afraid of death any longer is because they followed a Savior who had already conquered it. And so that ultimately, that's the message that Jesus leaves us with. He says, here's the reasons why you should not be afraid, but ultimately, the ultimate reason why we as Christians should be fearless is because we have nothing to fear in the end. Because we know who wins. We know what happens. We know that no matter what happens in this life, our Savior has already conquered the grave. And even though there might be things that we should fear. We can live fearlessly. Let's pray. Lord God, this is a message that uh, I may be preaching to um, the young adults, but it is a message that I really am preaching to myself uh, because, as you know, I am full of fear and anxiety and worry about my future, about my family, and every day it's a struggle to hand over my fears to you hand over the control of my life to you and let you 
continue to provide, continue to keep us safe and healthy, continue to, um, to reveal what it is that you have for, for my family and for me. And Lord God, I don't know what people are struggling with tonight. I don't know what their fears are. I don't know what's going on in their life. And I bet you some of them are pretty legitimate stuff that would be pretty scary. And yet you say that there's nothing to be afraid of because you have conquered the grave, the ultimate enemy. And so, Lord God, I pray that you would bring a peace and a strength um, to those who might be struggling tonight. And for the rest of us, Lord God, that we could be fearless, especially as we go out and we tell people about you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.